The Athletic. The race is on, and Fernando Alonso took aim at Alpine and Renault after his latest retirement from the Mexican Grand Prix. But is he right to be so critical of a team that appears to have made encouraging progress this year? Or is it just because he's on his way to Aston Martin for 2023? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and many more are Claire Cottingham and Ben Anderson. Well, Claire, how are you doing? Welcome back to the Race F1 podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I'm um, I'm still recovering a little bit from getting back from Mexico. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm, yeah, ready to rock and roll and speak about Fernando Alonso. I've managed to avoid the getting back from Mexico problem by coming straight to Brazil. That's a good trick. And for those who don't know, Claire, of course, is from racefans.net and at risk of being menaced by a cat at any moment during this recording, if you hear anything untoward. <laughs> yeah, she has been meowing for the last half an hour. So, you know, yeah. She's, she's calm for now, so nobody say anything. Don't make eye contact. That's how I do it. <laughs> we'll know what's gone wrong if the cat does intervene. And Ben Anderson, being menaced by any wildlife where you are? Hello. No, uh, my cat is safely locked away downstairs, along with my wife and two-year-old daughter. So there should be no menacing. Uh, and if there is, then probably something has gone severely wrong with my setup and I'll need to depart the podcast post-haste. Just a bit alarmed by the fact that you've locked up your whole family to facilitate this podcast. Exactly. It's just a sign of my dedication to the subject matter and to your podcast, Ed. (laughs) I should be right here in terms of wildlife. There's a few stray dogs around, but I'm on the 15th floor of this hotel, so I imagine uh, I'm largely uh, out out of range. If if you see one in the window, then there's something gone seriously wrong with physics. In Brazil, you never know. It's one of those places where unusual things happen. But yeah, it's all very, I should add, it's all very normal in Sao Paulo at the moment because there's been obviously all the talk about the uh, the unrest after the election, but the race is all systems go and happening and it, it seems fairly normal around here or as normal as Sao Paulo can be, given it's a, a fairly lively place, shall we say. Well, let's get on with it. Uh, Claire, Fernando Alonso's never been afraid to point out when he's unhappy with things. But after that engine failure cost him a potential seventh place in Mexico, he did seem particularly unhappy. You heard from him after the race. So was he really that furious? Yeah, the, the dramatics were, were good in slow-mo, weren't they, afterwards, as he got out the car and his hands were clenched and he was... It was all very dramatic considering, you know, he retired from, it was points, yes, but it did seem that it, it was almost like the camel that broke the straws. But is that the right saying? I always do this. I get the sayings <laughs> almost. wrong. I, I commit and I always get the same wrong. Yeah, no, it was the straw that broke the camel's back the other way around. Um, yeah, he, he, was, he was suitably furious, I think, when he came over to us. He, he's, he does chill out by the time he gets to us. I think that's something. But, but he always seems to be quite, um, still quite stern in, in, in how he thinks about things. And, and I think he felt like he had almost given up with Alpine after we spoke to him in Mexico. He, he was saying that, you know, car 14 always has reliability issues. And uh, he felt like Austin and Mexico were his best races for pace but obviously he had the the issue in Mexico um he was frustrated and he said this line interesting he said oh well no wonder I'm I'm so frustrated I've lost 60 points this year and that's another six points that I've lost and other people are gaining from my issues and he was he was he was frustrated but it's one of those things where sometimes the seasons just don't work for you and and this time around it just it seems that he's had yes more retirements yes more issues on paper but it felt a little bit misplaced, the amount of frustration that he felt off, off the back of Mexico. But we're getting to the end of the season now. You know, we've had a double header. We've only got a couple of races left. And I think he's very much maybe, I don't want to say signed off and checked out from Alpine, but I think there is definite, let's kind of look towards the future now. And he did say, I'm counting down to the end of the races now. So yeah, I think I think he just wants to get, get going with a new, a new project now. He's only got a few more weeks left. But Ben, I have to say, it's all a little bit GP2 engine Alonso, isn't it? This, this kind of mode where he's where he's, uh, he's very pointed and calculating. He never says things by chance. No, Alonso knows exactly what he's doing. Um, yeah, that comparison is one I was going to make myself. You know, got him into a lot of trouble with Honda. And he was just so exasperated with uh, that particular phase of the McLaren Honda project. I mean, there weren't many phases to be happy with, to be honest. Um, and he knows... He knows how to hit home with the most pointed comments at the most public of times. That obviously came during the Japanese Grand Prix, so particularly embarrassing for, for Honda. 
Um, Alonso likes to complain that his radio messages are taken out of context. Uh, this mm. obviously was not a radio message. This was said afterwards. So it's more genuine frustration rather than a political statement, I would say. And broadly speaking, he's got a point. You know, he, he estimates adding those points from Mexico on 66. I think if I've done my maths correctly compared to what Claire said was in his original comment. If we go back over the, the previous races in the season, obviously, Edge, you did a story for the, the race.com um, going over the early race of the year when Alonso last made this point that he'd he'd lost so many points to Alpine being rubbish. Uh, and it comes to around 62 to 64. Obviously, there's there's some leeway that has to be factored in because you're extrapolating some situations based on him having a normal weekend following a, a failure that's actually in the case of the Austrian Grand Prix pre-sprint race. So you don't know exactly where he was going to end up. But he has certainly lost a lot of points. He's had, he said he he's blown up five engines this year. Uh, and that's that's broadly correct. Obviously, we've had the, the two recent failures in Mexico and Singapore. There was a uh, water pressure loss in Monza. Uh, and he could quite easily have finished in the top eight in that race, it looked like, from the way things were going. Um, he had that air leak in Canada when he was well-placed. Possibly he was going to beat the Mercedes. He was certainly racing with them. Uh, so, yeah, he's had a lot of problems and they've come at really inopportune times. There was a hydraulics failure in qualifying for the Australian Grand Prix when he was looking like a, a possible pole position contender, at certainly uh, in contention for the first two rows there. Who knows what would have happened if if the car had remained reliable. So, you know, he's right to be upset. Um, certainly would have had a lot more points with better reliability, but many drivers can say the same. So the disingenuous element is, well other people have benefited more from me being out of the race, but equally there'll be races where Alonso's done better because other drivers have had reliability problems, particularly Ferrari drivers this year, and his results would have been worse if if they'd had better reliability. So it's horses for courses as ever. But overall, I think Fernando is justified to be disappointed and slightly frustrated that Alpine's reliability record on his car isn't better than it has been. Yeah, certainly when it comes to tallying up lost points, obviously you could look at the best case scenario and of course to do a really fair job of it, you've then got to work out everybody's lost points. But I think it's fair to say, I think there's 10 weekends where you can probably say Alonso's been let down by some form of unreliability or circumstance out of his control. The only thing I would say is he's also had a few times when he's not necessarily helped himself those Miami penalties. He got the cost in points. They were on him. Likewise, that Canada weaving, okay, he was frustrated, but that probably protected one position on the road, but it cost him two places once he had the five-second penalty. So it was a fairly futile little demonstration. He does sometimes, when he's annoyed, not make the best decisions in, in those situations. But yeah, it's just just one of those things. But in, in general, Claire, what, what do you make of Alonso? I mean, obviously, everybody talks about his age. Alonso doesn't like it when we ask him about his age, does he? But he's No one likes it when anyone's like, if we asked you about your age, would you like it? I'd be neutral. <laughs> my, my age, my age is 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 what it is. But like Alonso, I think I'm every bit as good as I was in 2012. Oh, That's yeah, the thing yeah, he likes yeah. to he likes to say. But but he is for all his fractiousness and the the complaints at Alpine, he is performing, isn't he? He's he's doing the job. Oh, um, yeah. You can't. You can absolutely. Well, Fernando Alonso always does the job that he's put in to do. He's one of the best drivers technically on the track. He is. Um, a two-time world champion. He's a character of the paddock. You know, when you hire Fernando Alonso, I think you know what you're going to get, which is, you know, like Ben was saying, he he's always very aware of every single word that comes out of his mouth. He's very calculated. He's, um, this is why I think those comments about Lewis Hamilton only recently kind of threw him off a bit because they caught, they sort of got what he said taken out of context because he, what he felt he was saying about Max Verstappen and, and Lewis Hamilton and championships was was taken slightly out of context. And I think that really threw him off because I, even when he spoke after Mexico, he said um, someone asked him about Max Verstappen breaking a you know that record. And he said, I don't want to speak about any other drivers anymore. I don't want to, it's taken out of context, you know? So he is very calculated in his words. And as a driver, he has absolutely been delivering on track. He is a great, he's, he's, he's great entertainment to watch, you know? Some of the drivers don't, take the the gap that maybe Fernando Alonso would or or they don't push as hard at, at, at like you say his age he's heading into his 
mid forties soon. Um, so he, yeah, I think he's absolutely really been impressive this year and, and age included. I mean, the age thing is very interesting because Lewis Hamilton has recently had that again, because we love to say people are too old to drive in Formula One, even though they keep doing it and ignoring us. And that's absolutely great. They should be doing that. But, you know, we hear about Tom Brady, whose age hasn't slowed him down. He's one of the best athletes in the world. So age is becoming a little bit irrelevant in Formula One. And I think that's really important because they were getting quite young, the drivers they were coming through, if you look how young Max Verstappen was when he started. So I'm going to go with the age is a relevant thing. And I think he's still performing. It'll be so interesting, though, to see what happens when he goes to Aston Martin, though, because they're a team that are doing far worse than Alpine at the moment. So if he's frustrated at Alpine when they're doing okay, mid, you know, they're fighting with, they're not quite a, obviously with the top three, but you know, they're a consistent fourth sort of in the constructors, you know, wh- where's he going to go when he, when he drops completely out and Aston Martin, I don't know. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting. Obviously there's loads of things we don't know about Aston Martin and they've got all this money they're putting into, um, the car uh, for next year. But yeah, I, th- I think it'll be interesting to see if his frustration boils over starting from Dot again with Aston Martin. I mean, you say Alonso doesn't like it when we ask him about his age, but it's also the case that he didn't like it when Alpine were questioning his age and his, <laughs> his suitability to to go on, go on in Formula One much beyond 41, 42 or, or what have you. And he was frustrated at being assessed, but he is a, an outstanding case and and perplexing one as well because there's no denying that in all sports there is a certain decline in physical ability mental ability and what have you that comes with age and it can be fought against and many drivers have spoken about how in the past in order just to maintain the same level of fitness they've had to work just as hard or harder than ever rather than improve their ability in that area so everything becomes more difficult Alonso is defying the usual expectations there aren't many drivers certainly in the modern era of Formula One who've been performing as strongly as he has past their 40th birthday when Michael Schumacher came back to Formula One he wasn't as quick or good as he had been previously Kimi Raikkonen was you know really a shadow of his best self in the the latter part of his Formula One career through Ferrari and also Sauber. So it's interesting that Alonso, you know, he seems to be almost setting a template for some of the guys on the grid who didn't think it would be possible to perform at your best at 40 or beyond. You know, Hamilton's now saying, having previously thought he would never go beyond 40 in Formula One, now he's up for it. Even Daniel Ricciardo, whose Formula One career might be finished after this year, is thinking, well, you know, I'm only... 33 and the I'm seeing guys that can are going on in past their 40s like Fernando Lewis who's approaching his 40s and still at the top of their game so why why can't I come back in a year or two and still be able to deliver so Alonso is is setting a template there nevertheless the Aston Martin move does seem like one that's a step backwards you know Alpine did want him to stay Probably they should have gone with the gut feeling of Alonso just being able to somehow sustain this unbelievable level and committed to a longer deal rather than thinking, oh, you know, he's bound to decline at some point in the near future. So let's just try and string, string him along on on a one-year deal. And ultimately Alonso's gone, well, you know, sod you, I can, uh, I can get a, a much longer term contract with Aston and and keep my dream going. He's fully committed. That's the impressive thing. You know, he's he's come back. The first part of 2021, he was a bit rusty. And obviously he'd, he'd missed quite a bit of Formula One and things do evolve constantly. This is one of the reasons Lewis Hamilton never wanted to take a break from Formula One, even though, you know, mentally and and from a, a kind of re-energizing point of view, he did want to take a break. But from the second half of that season and into this season, Alonso's been performing superbly and in hindsight, it kind of looks like Alpine really made perhaps a small mistake in offering Esteban Ocon that extended contract in the first half of 2021 when he was on top of Alonso. And everything we've seen subsequently suggests Alonso's probably the stronger driver there. Well, not even probably, definitely the stronger driver there. 
And if you were looking to make a change in the lineup, you wouldn't ditch Alonso as things stand. You'd probably drop Ocon, but they can't do that. So now they've ended up in a situation where they're losing Alonso anyway. And I think they will be poorer for that because there's another word we like to use with Fernando. He is relentless. And whether or not he's performing as well as he did in 2012 is impossible to know. But I can't think of many seasons, honestly, where he hasn't been operating at, you know, among the best levels of any driver on the grid. Maybe 2015, when McLaren Honda was particularly dire and far below his expectations, I think Jensen Button was slightly better than him across that season. But really, other than that, he's he's usually been on top of his teammate and been the best performing driver in his team. And, and that continues now, even though obviously he's he's the oldest driver on the grid. I think I find it very fascinating as to why Fernando Alonso, what he's been told by Aston Martin moving forward as the future of his, as, because as you say, Ben, like he is getting to, what is he, 41 now, isn't he? 41. Um, so what have Aston Martin said to him that has made him go, okay, I'm going to move away from Alpine who have been performing quite solidly for the last couple of years. And I'm going to go to Aston that have so far not really performed maybe how they wanted to this season. And alongside obviously the son of the owner of the team, which is going to come with its own complications in general, I, I would assume. I just don't know what he's been sold at that team that is better than where he is now. I, I know you mentioned there, obviously Alpine have found themselves in a bit of a sticky situation, um, which we have many podcasts on what happened with Alpine. If you, if you missed, if you were living under a rock with what happened uh, with their, them and Oscar Piastri. But I mean, we've, we've talked about Alpine many times and, and how they didn't quite get it right in terms of now they're left with no drivers. But I just, I'm just interested what Aston Martin have promised to Fernando Alonso that has made him go, yeah, we're going to have to start from a lower place on the grid and move forward. And I know there's been promises of the development and they put a lot of money into this new place in, um, in uh, Northampton. I just, I'm just, I'm fascinated to know what there is that, that they've promised him. I think it purely and simply it's the contract length, isn't it? You'd imagine the remuneration yeah. is similar or maybe even better. I mean, you know, Papa Stroll has lots of money to pour into that team, as you've mentioned. I think Alonso just wanted some trust from the team that he was racing for, that he could decide how long he could go on for and when he might not be feeling it in the same way. And Alpine were very much taking the position of, well, we'll offer you another year and then see where we go. And Alonso's obviously, having come back, you know, the break's done him good. He's missed Formula One mm. and he's said before how he's even enjoying the bits of Formula One that previously thought were pointless because he has a better mm. appreciation for the whole show and and the driver's place within that. So he wants to keep going. And he also wasn't particularly enamoured with the idea of going through the pain that Alpine is going through because of the way it's structured this this new era of the Renault Works team, uh, only to not enjoy the fruits of that labour somewhere down the line. Because it's quite clear that although Alpine has this ambitious 100-race plan, which replaces the previous five-year plan, it's not going to be straightforward or or a matter of a season or two for them to be in a championship fight. You, you look at the, the spread of the grid now, and yes, they're fighting with McLaren and you know, beating McLaren. They would be doing it more comfortably, but for the reliability problems, we can get to that. Um, for fourth place in the championship, they're best of the rest, but they're not really near to Mercedes, who are going through their own struggles, and you'd expect to, to take a step next year, certainly. Never mind challenging Ferrari or Red Bull, and I can't see that gap shrinking rapidly in a season or two. So you can understand Fernando thinking, well, they're, give, they're giving me one more year, but at that point, I'm going to be not much better off than I am now. And the team might be, but in a year or two after that, when they can fight for the championship, maybe, I've got no guarantee of being around. Whereas in Aston Martin's case, again, there's another aggressive plan there from Lawrence Stroll to turn that team into a championship winning force. I think, is he still on the original five-year plan? I forget. But there's lots of investment going in, infrastructure changes, new wind tunnel, 
whether things align for Alonso in the two or three years when that contract comes up for renewal, we don't know, but it gives him a longer run at things. And there's every chance that if he can somehow defy all logic and keep this high level of performance going for the next two or three seasons, that when we get to 2025 and Aston, in theory, are on a proper upward trajectory and potentially in a position to start fighting at the front because Formula One's compressed itself and the budget cap has done its job and all the teams are limited on development and and playing field is much more level. Alonso can say, look, I'm still going strong. We're in a position to fight now and who who better to to lead you to that first championship? Obviously Daddy oh. Stroll obviously Daddy Stroll will want the son <laughs> to do it, but you know, we'll want to see some kind of payoff for all this pain he's gone through in his career. Because let's face it, you know, since those near misses with Ferrari in not the best car, he's just had a sequence of of terrible runs with teams and cars that haven't been able to uh, to regress him to that third or more world championship. And, you know, he's, he is running out of time, although he does seem like he's defying age forever. It's eventually going to catch up with him. Um, and he needs to obviously arrive at an intersection whereby he achieves some form of success, I think, to make this, this comeback worthwhile. Or is this one of his classic Fernando Alonso moves that on paper he seems to have said, this is all great, this is amazing. And then... You know, six months down the line, he's back frustrated, kicking a car on the side of the track. You know what I mean? Like, Maybe. I just, I under, I appreciate what you're saying that it's the long term thing, and that you know there is all this development that Aston Martin are putting in, and and all this money being thrown at it. But it's just like, as a driver like Fernando Alonso, he's is he just going to go to somewhere else to be more frustrated? Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yes, it's a long game, but he, like you say, he doesn't have that long to to develop a team and become a third time world champion. Aston are, as it stands this season, significantly worse than the Alpines. So this is where I'm confused, you know? So, but, they yeah. have, but, they have, I mean, but they have made progress. I mean, the car... You absolutely, know, don't disagree. After that concept change around Spain time and then a few more developments, you know, recently it's looked not consistent, but it's looked better. You know, in Austin, the car looked pretty decent, I would say. And that's not to say suddenly they're going to take a leap and be in the fight for fourth or beyond in a year or even two but from Alonso's point of view, even regardless of of the the chances for success, and I'm being generous there, how many teams are going to offer him a, a guaranteed two year contract with the option for a third? You know, Alpine were definitely not going to do that, so he was looking at the possibility of being out in one year's time. But with Aston, he's got some stability, even at his extreme age for a Formula One driver. So it could be pure and simple that he just is taking the best deal that he can get to extend his Formula 1 career for as long as he possibly can, to earn as much money as he can, to enjoy the show for as much as he can before inevitably the musical chairs game stops and there's no no seat for him. It's certainly a lucrative move to Aston Martin and that must play a part in his thinking. You can't blame him for that. I still think he's got that desire to at least win a few more races if he he possibly can. And in terms of his performance level... uh, Age-wise, well, I have to say this because we're only seven months apart. He's he's got the advantage on me in terms of age, but uh, similar kind of age. But I think it's obviously very difficult coming back to that question of how good he is compared to his peak. Probably 2012 was his peak in terms of what he was doing with a limited car. You can't quite measure that, but what you can say is in terms of the drivers on the grid, he's he's certainly among the top six performers. So he's certainly delivering, and he's a loss to Alpine. That the real question is whether this this particular ways is actually lose-lose because Alpine loses and and Alonso could lose ultimately. I think you could make that case, yeah, because you know there's no, no two ways about it. Aston at the moment is an inferior team to Alpine. So Alonso is almost certainly going to take a backward step for the start of next year. And he would obviously hope that development curves and extra aerodynamic testing allowances close that gap. And at the same time, Alpine is losing one of the most phenomenally adaptable drivers there's been on the grid in the last 20 years. You know, Through every rule change, through various teams, Alonso stays at pretty much the same exceptional level. You don't really find a period in his career where he's not got on with a car or dropped off considerably. Even that break, you know, like I say, it took a, took a half a season for him to shake the rust off, but he was there. By the end of 2021, he wasn't lost thinking, oh, these these two years out of F1 have absolutely 
done me. So Alpine definitely takes a hit, I think, because you know, Alonso's one of his biggest assets is is his incredible intelligence and his ability to understand the, like the global picture of a Formula One car and where the driver's limitation intersects with the car's limitation and splitting out where exactly he can do better versus where the car can do better. If the engineers throw new parts at a car, as we've discussed before, he's incredibly good at understanding exactly how to make the most of those, adapting his technique to whatever is required to extract the lap time from those developments. That's something a team like Alpine, which needs to develop aggressively to progress, will find extraordinarily valuable. And I don't think, with the greatest of respect to Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly, who are fine drivers, they are limited in that sense. I don't think you're going to find from either of them somebody who is going to do what Alonso can do in that kind of scenario where the car is changing quite considerably and they need to find a a development direction. Yeah, I think that's true. Alonso offers a great range of skills and also just purely driving wise he's able to deal with a huge number of different car dynamics he relies on an amazing amount of car control i think that's one of the reasons why you can say he hasn't declined because or declined in any significant way because that sharpness he needs to hang on to a car sometimes mid corner if he's overcommitted is still there and a lot of drivers can't can't cope with that but he is one who can do it so i think if you'd asked me like 10 years ago, I might have said, actually, he's one who might struggle to keep going all the time because he relies so much on that. But clearly, all that sensitivity and feel is still there as all the other drive and determination. His bandwidth is incredible, isn't it? I mean, you you make me think of Canada, where he was having one of these engine problems. And he was talking about driving like a kamikaze into the corners, basically throwing the car in to keep the corner speed up to mitigate the losses he was having down the straights. And he did that almost seamlessly. There was no real obvious difficulty he was having in doing that. He didn't lose a great deal of pace. Obviously, he's not superhuman. He can't he can't completely defy the laws of physics. But he he makes those adaptations so quickly. There isn't a lull of 10 or 20 laps where he's trying to figure out what the hell's gone wrong with the car and how he can drive around it. It's instant. Um, and it's, it's, it's not something that's unique to him, obviously, but it's... It's rare at that level to find someone who's so extremely adaptable and able to have such a range, extreme range of car controllability that even as he gets older, he can still hang on to it with the best. And I think that's going to be a positive for Aston Martin, who I think it's probably fair to say have got two peaky drivers. Vettel, particularly this season, has been excellent on the good weekends, not always so consistent. Stroll has his moments. Uh, I don't think he's able to achieve as consistently a high level as Vettel can and certainly not uh, Alonso but I think we'll see that again next year in in Aston Martin great signing for Aston great signing for Aston I think they're the the one winner out of this you know if you say Alonso and Alpine it's a lose-lose for them for Aston Martin it's a definite gain I would say hello I'm Adam Crafton and I'm the host of the Athletics new documentary series Away From Home I've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk They're in the Champions League, but they're having to play their home games in Poland following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. Travelling with them across Europe as they set out on their Champions League odyssey. It's not only about football now, it's about the show that we are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They killed him. Subscribe now to Away From Home to follow the whole story. Claire, let's talk a little bit more about Alpine and the progress it's made. Currently fourth in the Constructors' Championship, seven points ahead of McLaren, so it's still quite tight. Do you think that's enough for, for a team of that level, a works team? Obviously, they're Certainly next year they'll be up at the the cost cap. I suspect they might have hit it this year actually with the uh, the inflation challenges. But is that enough? Are you seeing that progress to say that regardless of Alonso's situation, they're on a trajectory that will get them to where they need to be? I think they've definitely made progress this year. Um, if you look at last year, they still had some reliability issues last year. There was three retirements for Esteban Ocon and two retirements for Alonso. Um, and and last year, inter- interestingly, Alonso's best finish was a podium 
in Qatar, uh, third place. And obviously it was a little bit of luck involved um, in Hungary, but Esteban Ocon took a win. This year, Alonso currently ninth in the championship, so below his teammate, which is probably also what's annoying him as well at the moment. Um, Four retirements and his best has been fifth. Esteban Ocon, two retirements and his best has been fourth. So it's one of those really strange ones where if you look on paper, especially this season, Fernando Alonso looks like he's actually the, the worst of the drivers, but clearly that's not the case. It's it's the case of the, the amount of retirements and the issues and things that we've seen. And and like you said as well, Ed, some of the, um, the uh, more spicier moments from Fernando Alonso on track that maybe cost him some points as well. So I think I, I think it's a really interesting comparison looking at last year and where they were and and how far they've moved forward. They're a lot more consistent, I think, this year in terms of the peaks last year were, were very high. You know, you win, you had your third place. But this year it's been it's been a lot more plain sailing, maybe less so for Fernando and his retirements. But we do I do think we have seen steps forward. And I think for next season it'll be really interesting because um obviously they've got a new driver alongside them and it's a driver that has been um Red Bullified. So so it's a you know it's a completely different he's come from Red Bull and he's been with Red Bull for a long time and and again another driver that's been very frustrated this season Pierre Gasly moving over to Alpine and and I think it'll be really interesting it'll be it'll be an interesting partnership I think Ben you made a very good point that it won't be what we see from this season that Fernando Alonso gets something very different out of this car that that Esteban Ocon doesn't seem to be able to even dream about reaching really so I think we'll see we'll see step forwards next season, but I think it will seem maybe like a step backwards because we haven't got Fernando Alonso behind the wheel, you know, absolutely smashing the tires off that car. I think that'll be a really interesting thing where they are next season compared compared to now because Fernando, I like Ocon a lot. I do think he's you know he's an absolutely fine driver, but Alonso is 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 riding that wave for Alpine at the moment. So it'll be really interesting to see what that partnership is is like next season and and where the team finish really. I think Alpine have definitely taken a big step forward this year. If you think last year it was Ferrari and McLaren in a kind of best of the rest no man's land behind Red Bull and Mercedes and the rules resets happened and McLaren have kind of found themselves in similar territory. Obviously Ferrari have taken a big step but Alpine have been right there with them. And really, if Alpine's reliability record had been better, they would be, I think, far and away clear in the Constructors' Championship. You know, you credit those 60-odd points that Alonso says he's lost to unreliability in the Championship, and they're, they're well ahead. And Alpine have been fortunate because of that unreliability that Daniel Ricciardo just hasn't been able to to get anything like the most out of the McLaren. If he'd been scoring at a similar rate to the other three drivers in that battle, then McLaren would be in a comfortable position. Um, I think the McLaren car is not as good as the Alpine. Lando Norris likes to make this point consistently, and he he would do. But I do think his driving has flattered McLaren this year, and he's he's achieved incredible results with that car. Ricardo has obviously underperformed, um, but I do think um, that it's the reliability record that's made the biggest difference for Alpine. Um, but ultimately, that balances itself out into quite a tight battle. But overall, considering that although Alpine had some good peaks last season, as you say, Claire, they weren't really consistently in that fight for, to, for best of the rest. And, and this season, they have been. And, you know, they have been racing Mercedes too at times in certain conditions. Obviously, in the wet conditions, the car's been fantastic. And we can remember Alonso's front row qualifying performance in Canada. You know, there have been some incredible peaks in the performance side, just not necessarily always delivering the results because the reliability record isn't there. I think the interesting thing for Alpine is that they have been very good at delivering performance to the car in terms of the upgrades. They've had a lot of upgrades this year. A little and often has been their general approach, and they've worked. They haven't got lost or over-promised and under-delivered, which they have done in the past, which I think is quite encouraging uh, for them. But it's still such a it's such a long way to go, though, isn't it, Claire? Because there's that big gap between the midfield and the top three that's been there for a long time. There's reasons to hope it'll close up as time passes with the cost cap, but 
still quite a way off, isn't it? They need they're going to need every one of those hundred races to get in amongst that that top three teams. I think it's important at this point to to realise that Alpine are developing as a team. You know, they're not they're not a Red Bull. They haven't you know they haven't ticked all the boxes yet. They haven't found exactly what works for them, and and that's fine. Like th- th- I think this is something that we don't talk about maybe enough in Formula One. There will be developing teams, and as long as teams are moving forward, which is what we've seen from Aston as well as Alpine, but Alpine especially as that's what we're talking about. But uh, teams are allowed to develop. You know, we saw Mercedes before they became the dominating Mercedes that they were. They they didn't have the best car when it was Michael Schumacher and uh, Nico Rosberg, but they they worked incredibly hard to then bring Lewis Hamilton over and then suddenly it was a you know race winning car and they dominated for 7 years. It's okay to have these development periods and I think that's exactly what they're doing. They're managing expectations and saying look actually we're not where we want to be right now and that's okay. We've got these 100 races that we've got in front of us. We've we've got our target. We know where we want to be and we're working towards it. So nobody's asking them to be the finished package right now at all. So it's okay that they're making these mistakes and they have these reliability issues. Obviously, not so much for Fernando Alonso, who wants to be winning races, but that's what happens when you go over to a team that is developing. And I think that's what I always find so interesting when Fernando Alonso is so grumpy about it now, because that was always the goal. The goal was always to develop the car to get to a point where they want to be in the future. So it sort of makes sense as to why there's these reliability issues and you know, why they're having such teething issues because they never said they were the finished art- article. So yeah, I think I think it's a it's an it's an interesting future for Alpine. And these hundred races are they've they've given themselves a lot of um breathing space, I think. And and in that way they can kind of step away and go, oh no, we're we're at 98 races now, so we're still not where we said we would be. Let's see where we are in a hundred races. But yeah, I think I think it's absolutely fine to be having these teething issues and uh, and I think moving forward with their new driver lineup, one half of the garage. We'll see we'll see a, a different Alpine as well, because I think with Fernando Alonso, he tends to overtake a lot of everything. He's, you know, we know that he's very vocal with the engineers. We know that he's very vocal with his teammate. We know he's very vocal with the bosses as well. So it'll be interesting to see um maybe a bit more of a level playing field when when Pierre Gasly comes in next season. But you know, they've given themselves a hundred races. Let's see where they go. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right to highlight the fact that it's a, an evolving team. And that applies to the engine too, doesn't it, Ben? They haven't had the best of times with the power unit ever since the start of the V6 Turbo Hybrid era. Alonso described Alpine as unprepared with an engine that cannot finish races in his complaints at the at the end of Mexico. How fair do you think it is for him to take aim at the work done at Vivi Chatillon, particularly because as team principal Otmar Safnar has pointed out, there are good reasons for that engine being unreliable this year. Yeah, I think uh, for you to say they've not had the best of times in the hybrid era is a masterful understatement, Ed. I mean, it's been mostly a disaster that actually recently has has started to look much better for them. I think Alonso is is kind of now, perhaps because he, he knows he's headed for the exit door, just pointing out something that has appeared um, quite obvious to us watching through the season that reliability is on the engine side has been lacking for Alpine and to say they were unprepared is probably a bit harsh because this is part of their strategy they knew that the engine on the performance side would be locked in until the regulations change after 2025 so you needed to define your specification this year and after that you wouldn't be able to change it apart from for reliability reasons so it made sense if you had some ground to catch up, which let's face it, Renault have had for a long time, to go aggressive, redesign the engine for performance, which they have done. You know, the spread across the engines now is not a talking point. And it's probably the first season we've been able to say that. I think the spread is something like 10 horsepower across all four power units now, which is negligible. You know, in the in the the height of the Red Bull Renault hybrid engine war even when Red Bull were having a relatively successful season in 2016 the gap was more than 45 horsepower and that was when Renault had quite a good year in terms of reliability so they've done the right thing to go aggressive and then try to claw back the reliability as the seasons up to 2026 progress but obviously that doesn't help Fernando when he's on his final 
year and final few races with that team. You know, obviously I, I would assume he was expecting to stay here for the long haul, in which case he probably would have kept counsel a bit and supported the team's decision, which I think he did earlier in the year. But obviously now it's not in his interests to protect Viri Chatillon from questions about their reliability record because he's suffering the brunt of those problems and he won't gain any of the benefit from them fixing those problems down the line. But I mean, it's it was to be expected as well, I think, this season. You know, it's a typical cycle with Renault that they do a big overhaul on the engine and over the next sort of two or three seasons, they sort themselves out and get into a respectable place. Then they realise there's a performance deficit and they have to do a big overhaul and then they go through the same pain again. It happened in 2014. They had an all-new engine. Well, it was 95% new, I think they said, for 2017, but they messed up the ERS and a, a Red Bull had to do a, a, a mod on the MGUK to make that thing work for the first half of the season. So that was a, a backward step. Then they clawed some some of it back, but of course, even the next year, the engine was so bad that Max Verstappen was basically calling them an effing joke on the radio in Hungary. Uh, and it basically led to a, a um, irreparable breakdown and Honda stepping in to work with Red Bull. 2019, there was a, another overhaul of the engine. Um, lots of reliability problems that year across McLaren and the Renault Works team. You remember the McLarens had a double failure at Spa, I think, early on in that race. Um, 2020 was a bit better. And then last season, actually, reliability was was pretty good. I think Ocon suffered an engine failure in Baku, but that was the only one that compromised a race directly. So you can see that they've been getting their heads around the previous architecture, but they worked out that, you know, we still have this performance deficit. So this year they've gone aggressive that we believe they've adopted the split turbine and compressor design that Mercedes pioneered at the start of the the hybrid era. So it's about time. But obviously when you do a major overhaul, um, you're bound to have teething problems. Um, so Alonso's just unfortunate that he happens his final season with the team happens to align with the first year of for what for Renault for, with the first year of what for Renault is a is a new engine program if you like. Yeah, I think it probably just reflects his frustration at the fact that uh, that he is moving on for various reasons and the fact he's taken a lot of that pain and contributed quite a bit and he's not going to benefit from it. But then again, that was his choice, wasn't it? So the good thing is for Renault is that their engine is performing pretty well. There's quite a tight spread across across them and I think Renault in, in okay shape with the, the step they've made they've just got to use the the brakes they're allowed to implement to improve that reliability we'll get back to the pod in a moment but first a word about our partner Grammarly no matter what kind of work you do how you communicate is key all those emails reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done and Grammarly can help Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, Claire, let's come back to drivers. We talked a little bit about Esteban Ocon. Inevitably, Alonso is the guy who hogs all the headlines Ocon is actually the highest scoring driver for the team. He's very much carrying on quietly, keeping out of the way because he wasn't part of the driver market thing, just doing what he's doing. How impressed have you been with him this season? And what do you make of that Ocon-Gasly partnership? Mm -hmm. uh, the Ocon-Gasly partnership will be interesting. Um, they they do have some history in terms of um, my understanding of a bit of beef between the two. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm sure they'll be very professional about it and, um, there'll be an interesting partnership. Um, I probably a bit of an unpopular opinion because you don't hear much about Ocon in general. He's very much a consistent driver that you're not entirely sure how he did when the race ends. 
Um, and I don't know if that really, if that explains it in, in maybe the, the way I want to, but he, you always just sort of know he's going to finish. He, he might have one moment in the race where he really peaks and he has a great battle with somebody and, and, and that's the talking point of his race. But other than that, he tends to be, be quite a consistent drive around, finishing the points driver, which is what, you know, team bosses want. So I, I quite like him. Um, and I, I think he's a, he's a nice driver to speak to as well, which always helps because when they're nice to talk to, then, you know, you're more inclined to like what they do. I think (laughs) if they're less, less difficult to talk to, sometimes it can be a bit harder. Um, I think, yeah, I think (laughs) it's a really hard one for me to, to sort of sum up because I think he is a consistent driver who has worked incredibly hard to be on on the grid. Um, we've heard about all the stories about him and his family selling their home and living in a caravan. And I think that has made him a humble driver. Um, I think he does the job. He does exactly what he says on the tin. He's a Formula One driver that scores points. He's got a win under his belt. So that's the monkey off his back there. Every driver wants to get the win off his back. Pierre Gasly coming in obviously has a win on, uh, under his belt as well going into uh, next season after um, winning... Monza 2020, waiting for the nod. Good. <laughs> it's like, I'm pretty sure that was what it was. Um, so I think there'll be a really interesting partnership for next year. I think they are both consistently strong drivers that score points. And it's going to take some time, I think, for Pierre Gasly to get used to a completely new car. Obviously, he's been with Red Bull for so long and uh, he's been with Alpha Tauri for so long. So I think heading over to to Alpine will be a really interesting partnership. Um yeah, I think I think he's a solid driver. I, I I think he's good. I think he's overshadowed often by Fernando Alonso, but he does the job. He he ticks the boxes that they want, which is brings home some points and don't crash the car. Whatever happens, you've got to be doing a good job to be able to outscore Alonso. He'll only be well, the second exactly. driver to do that if he does it. Does hold on this year? Obviously, a few others have finished ahead of him in the points, but it's only Button in 2015 who actually scored more points. Hamilton obviously beat him on count back, as did Tasso Marquez in the Minardi season, <laughs> uh, of all of all people. But Alonso's generally been uh, very strong. Ocon has, I think, upped his game alongside Alonso. He's learned from him very well. He's got a very nice, sensitive driving style. I mean that in a good way. He's nice and smooth. I was interviewing mm. the other day, actually. He was talking about he doesn't really feel his driving style is smooth. It's just he's got that good sensitivity, so he's on to things before they happen, which is a good sign, a proactive driver. I don't think he's got that sort of hustling driving style, that improvisational style that Alonso has, but he's been at a very good level. You wouldn't have these numbers compared to Alonso, even with a little bit less bad luck on your side. And he has had his own problems as well yeah. uh, with, with the car. So let's not pretend that Alonso's had all the faults. So he's not quite at Alonso's level, but he's he's not far off. But that's what I mean. This this is why it's so hard to put into words how Esteban Ocon is because he's always sort of overshadowed by his teammate and he's always put up against his teammate. So when you look at the actual numbers of how Esteban Ocon has done this season, he's currently ahead of his teammate in the the Drivers' Championship. That's a really impressive, consistent performance. Um, But because we're so used to going, well, how did Fernando do though? You sort of forget that he's driving the same car and, and driving it pretty well as well. My question with Ocon would only be in those situations where the car isn't quite to his liking and the team has brought a development that is difficult to adapt to, has he evolved to the point where he can take advantage of those developments instantaneously and keep the team relentlessly on an upward trajectory? I think that's what Alonso brings you. And I've noticed a pattern in Ocon's time at Renault Alpine where he can get a bit lost they change the car quite substantially and then his performance just mysteriously drops away and he gets a bit spiky I know Claire you're saying he's quite nice to talk to but he can be very spiky when things are not going his way and you try to pry into the reasons why things might not be going his way and he becomes very vague in his statements and the team the team become quite vague in their statements too saying well there's no obvious problem with the car here sometimes they find something um, but very often there isn't really any problem with the car it's just that he hasn't got on with whatever direction it's gone into and it's taken a bit of time maybe two or three races for him to wrap his head around where that development has taken the car what setup compromises and driving style compromises are required to extract time from that development and then he gets back on the pace and you see him at this 
as Ed describes it, near Alonso, but maybe not quite Alonso level. And that's what I fear Alpine lose when Alonso walks out because Ocon will go missing a few times as that car gets faster just because that seems to be what happens unless he can work out a way to stop that from happening or he just gets fortunate that all the developments happen to suit him straight away and they avoid that trap. And we know that Pierre Gasly, also very fast driver, very capable. You know, Overall, certainly in terms of a midfield team, you would have no doubts about that lineup really from a driving point of view. But we know he has some limitations that when the car's not quite to his liking, when it picks up some understeer in that mid-corner phase that he really doesn't like, uh, when he's trying to overdrive it a bit too much on the way in, can't get the braking performance and stability he wants, he goes missing too. You know, Alpha Tari have had a much tougher season this year than last year when Gasly was performing really well and scoring some great results. He hasn't really driven that team on and helped them get around those difficulties as far as I can tell. He's become quite negative, a bit spiky, even before he knew he was on his way out and had this, this Alpine deal in his pocket. So that's not really what you're looking for when the going is getting tough and Alpine obviously on a good trajectory, but it's not like it's playing sailing from here to the world championship. You know, there's going to be bumps in the road and yes, Alonso absolutely is prepared to call things out and apply pressure to teams in a negative way. But you'd know that whatever happens, whatever you bring to that car on any given race, he's going to get the absolute most from that package. And with Ocon and Gasly, I think you get 80 to 90% of the time that, but that crucial 20, 10% will be missing just from not having Alonso in that team. It's a really interesting point that I actually hadn't thought of because we've seen a very frustrated Pierre Gasly to the end of this season. We've heard him complaining to, you know, everyone on the radio. He's he's complained to the media. He's absolutely fuming before he's even left Alpha Tauri. And and you're right, when when it doesn't quite go right for Esteban, he doesn't give you the reasons why. And actually, if that's the case for next season, with both of them having the same sort of things aren't going my way, so I'm a bit grumpy and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not... I don't know, that could be fireworks. That could be something that actually is a is a potential worry for the team. You know, if, if both drivers are, like you say, maybe not as capable as Fernando Alonso of adapting to new changes to the car, but also then getting stroppy to the media and to the engineers, like that's going to be a, a really, I don't want to say troublesome because that's not how I mean it, but like that could be a really interesting dynamic. Let's put it like that. And wrapping all that up, I think it just comes down to their two drivers who sometimes are at, at the mercy of things that they can't adapt to or control. I think that's the uh, the, the main problem. I think that's why Ocon sometimes gets a little bit uh, lost in a way Alonso doesn't. Gasly's got quite a specific way he wants the car to be. Those two aren't necessarily exactly the same in terms of how they want the car to be as well. So that's going to be a really interesting battle. And both will go into next season thinking, yeah, I'm going to be the the main man here. Ocon certainly will do, having put in all that work. He thinks his time is now. Gasly thinks, right, I'm out of Red Bull. Now's my chance to show what I can do in a in, in a works team and, and get back to what I thought I could have done at Red Bull. So that's going to be a really... Uh, interesting combination although we could see some momentum hindered by Gasly because he's so close to that uh, automatic one race ban just two penalty points away so uh, who knows we could see Jack Doohan in for a, for a race early in next season if uh, Gasly gets uh, gets unlucky but kind of coming back around to Alonso Ben how much do you think Alpine are losing next year and perhaps if we look at it through the difference he's made in that battle for fourth in the constructors with McLaren do you think Ocon Gasly this year is going to would be finishing fourth in the constructors championship ahead of McLaren or do you think that would make the enough of a difference for that for that swing because it's only seven points gap at the moment that's an interesting question I suppose if whoever's in Alonso's car if they have the same reliability problems it doesn't matter I think you would take a hit I think you know Alonso brings as you mentioned Ed, a certain swashbuckling approach to racing grabbing the car by the scruff of the neck that you don't really see from Pierre. I think he would have done quite well because the car seems to have been generally performing very well and certainly more consistently than the Alpha Tauri. So I don't think you take a huge hit in terms of points, but it's difficult to extrapolate those times when, you know, because you mentioned Alpine have, de- have been developing the car incrementally and quite rapidly 
and those developments have worked, but how much has Alonso been a part of making that progress tangible on the circuit? You know, we we can't quantify that, but you would imagine that he's had a very significant impact there and given Alpine the confidence that they're taking their car in the right direction. Nothing we've seen from what Pierre Gasly's done in his career so far suggests that he would bring that to the same level. So there's a possibility that Alpine might have become slightly confused earlier in the season because, as you say, if it's Ocon and Gasly, their driving styles are different. They have different limitations, certain very specific needs from the car, which Alonso doesn't have. You know, he's he's malleable. He'll say, whatever you say is fastest, give it to me and I'll make it work. But that's not what Pierre Gasly does. That's not what Esteban Ocon does. So without that kind of focal point, Alpine's development direction from the start isn't quite so clear cut. So maybe they go down some different avenues. It doesn't quite work. They have to reverse out of those. The performance of the car overall then stagnates a bit and that gives Lando Norris some breathing space because he clicks with the McLaren in the same way he has done. And then it all comes down to the difference that really Daniel Ricciardo has been making. I think that's the only reason that apart from the unreliability on Alpine's side that the, that battle in the Constructors' Championship has been close is because Ricciardo just hasn't been performing well enough in the McLaren. And if he could have got on better in that car and scored even a, a fraction more of the points that Norris has been able to do, then, you know, that's not a close fight, is it? You know, McLaren would be, would be clearly ahead if Ricciardo was scoring at the level compared to Norris that Ocon has been scoring relative Fernando or vice versa. You know, I think it probably says a lot about Alonso that you can make that argument that he's he's made such a significant difference in in a pretty important battle. But Claire, just to finish off, we've just been talking about Alonso for an hour. We've talked about him plenty on this podcast in the past. He's what twenty one years ago he made his F one debut. Yeah, he's still this endlessly fascinating driver. So I, I guess it is great that he's still around and still going and still wants to achieve it in his forties because that's the main thing, isn't it? He still is willing to to put it on the line. You know, leave everything out there on track, put everything he can do in off track. He's still willing to make these comments off track that he could have an easier life if he didn't do. So he's still 100% Fernando Alonso and F1's all the better for having him there, isn't it? Yeah, I've I've got a real concern for where Formula One goes. We're losing, obviously, Daniel Ricciardo, who is a, a great character. Um, eventually, Lewis Hamilton will leave, of course, and, and you know, he's he's speaks out about various different things and Sebastian Vettel leaving as well. Great character on track. And then when Fernando Alonso eventually decides to leave Formula One, you know, there is a, there is a gap in the market for these drivers that have this personality that play with the media that, you know, play with um, how, even just how, how they speak to their engineers and, and, you know, are constantly learning, even though he's one of the most successful Formula One drivers, even though he's only got two championships under his belt. It's going to be a real shame when we lose these sorts of drivers um, because eventually, you know, he, he will get to the point where age or a lack of interest decides, you know, his path is going to go away from Formula One. We've seen it before. So I do I do hope that there are some drivers coming through that will show more of a personality and show more of this skill level and show more of this hunger that we see from Fernando Alonso and like you say, the ruthlessness in the car. Um, and it's not silly ruthlessness. It's it's very controlled ruthlessness, which is why he's such an amazing driver. So, yeah, it's he, he'll never not be an enigma. I think that's what's so interesting about Fernando Alonso. He clearly has the uh, incredible skill on track and also he just keeps us guessing off track as well. And I think that's a really special thing. He has a special relationship with the with the media as well and in, in a way that maybe the some of the other drivers don't have. He he loves to play us against each other. He loves to say a, a little something that one of us goes, hang on a minute, what does that mean? You know, and then he, he doesn't want to tell you. He'll just walk away. It'll give you like a cheeky little smile and just, and then he, that's it. That's it. But you have to take that. That's all you get because that's your five minutes with Fernando Alonso. So I think it's going to be a massive shame when he leaves and his whole personality and his whole um, stance, I guess, it's not quite the word I want, but his whole just just the whole Fernando Alonso or like aura 
is, is going to be massively missed when he leaves. So I hope some of the younger drivers look at what he does and look at the way he plays and look at the way he has fun out there. And I think that's what's really important. He does have fun on track. And I hope some of them kind of look at that and go, that's what I want to be when I grow up, you know. But it's going to be, he's, yeah. I, I think I leave it as Fernando Alonso is the, the best enigma I think I've ever had the pleasure of speaking to. Well, you never know. You might get to enjoy that enigma for a bit longer. Louis Chiron was almost 59, only a few months off his 59th birthday when he last tried to qualify for Grand Prix. was in the 1950s, so perhaps not that relevant. But you never know how long Alonso can go on for. But I'm sure as long as he does, and for many years after, he'll keep us talking. Well, thanks very much for your insight, Ben and Claire. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there from the world of Formula One. Have a listen to our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, the Race IndyCar podcast, our MotoGP podcast, Podcast and have a look at our YouTube channel as well. And also head to shop.the-race.com, shop.the-race.com, as there's loads of merchandise to buy there, including our 2023 calendar with some spectacular imagery from XPB Images. We're now counting down the days to the Brazilian Grand Prix, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.